everybody. It's Sean Mooney. Welcome to another episode of Network Classics here on PTSM as uh, we bring you yet another classic episode from the archives from the WWE Network as we dig back in and uh, we're going to go through another episode of Superstars, which, uh, you know, I was a, a big part of those episodes if you look back. Uh, they, they, they put up these generic ones, though, that uh, were when we would do all those markets. Uh, you guys, if you're familiar with the Event Center, uh, we used to do three hits with the Event Center through uh, every show. Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. Also, we had uh, uh, Event Centers in, rest, uh, in uh, Primetime Wrestling and Spotlight. I mean, we just did every show. And then, of course, I did a ton of stuff. Uh, you know, the, at that time when I was there, I don't know if I was a year or two in when they when they started sending our product overseas. They uh, had a, made a big deal with Sky Television over there and started uh, pumping a World Wrestling Federation product I- into the UK. And I really was one of the first voices to customize, um, you know, the, the the WWF content there. And uh, it was really it was really cool because. Uh, you know, Gene Okerlund had taught me early on that you really want to try and, um, you know, localize what you do. And, you know, Gene was, uh, you know, fantastic at that. And, and in his travels uh, to all these different cities, you know, he'd uh, go into certain establishments, shall we say, where they uh, served spirits. And uh, he might remember a bartender there or people that, uh, you know, that he'd met or, you know, uh, other people who had worked with the World Wrestling Federation, but it was a way to localize that market, you know, through uh, places that people were familiar with, people that they were familiar with. And so he told me that this, you know, when I started doing the event center, that I should keep in mind this uh, this stuff. And I did. I I certainly did. Now, uh, it would have been a lot easier back in those days if we would have had, you know, the internet. That I could have looked up a, a, a pub you know, near Piccadilly Circle or something and been able to, you know, found out names who owned the place. I mean, it would have been really easy. But back then it wasn't like that. We didn't have the, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the eight second answer. So I would uh, go to the local library in Stanford and they had these, you know, travel logs, you know, where you'd go on trips and I would go and look at, uh, through the pages and find different places. And I would, uh, you know, interject it that way. Um, So when Alfred and I finally made our first trip over to the UK, because eventually, you know, they started doing tours over there and we did some, you know, did some shows that were televised. And uh, when I went there, I was just blown away by how many people knew me. And it wasn't in a sense, and it wasn't like in the United States that people didn't know who I was, but I could pretty much live a normal life. I wasn't worried about, you know, people, paparazzi outside my door or anything like that uh and and, you know in in airports people would recognize me here and there but it wasn't anything crazy by any stretch of the imagination it wasn't like what the superstars would go through so and especially if I went to arena of course people knew who I was but it wasn't on that scale by any stretch of the imagination like someone like a Randy Savage or you know any of the other superstars so when we went over to the UK uh, for one of the first tours we did over there, uh, and that was that was televised that we did a you know a taping there, um, I remember being in a hotel lobby with all of the guys you know Bobby and uh, Gorilla was there, 
and uh, you know a few of the other talent. And of course, they were when the fans. There was a lot of fans that we had come to this place, and they were really excited to see those guys. But what just blew me away is the fact that they mobbed me. I mean, it was just it it just floored me because I wasn't used to that kind of recognition. And I couldn't understand why. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I just do the events. I just tell them when the events are coming. But then I got to talking to some of them, and they called me the lad. They they all called my like my nickname was the lad, and uh, because I was young then, I wasn't as old as <laughs> this old geezer. But uh, you know, talking with them, they said, well, you know, you you, it's like you know us. You say things that are, you know, uh, that are familiar to us, and it's like you you you've been here. So that was a great lesson to me, and I really stepped it up when I came back over to the States as far as the local markets go. I paid a lot more attention to that. And when I would go to these cities, you know, I would have I had a little notebook. And if I saw a place that was near the arena that looked like, you know, a popular Irish pub or something like that, I would, you know, mark that down on whatever street it was on. And, uh, you know, and I'd say, oh, the folks over at uh, Patty's Pub over there on, uh, you know, Kingston Street, uh, we expect to see you all out there. And uh, and so I, I really think that was an effective way to help localize the markets because we did so many. And, and eventually, you know, I, I just got used to doing these markets over and over and over again. And, you know, I still in my head, you know, the Rosemont Horizon and, you know, all of the different arenas that we went to, Joe Lewis Arena. I mean, they're still in my brain because we did, you know, so many markets. So... Uh, as you're going to see in this one, though, as I as I made a very long story, uh, when when you saw these superstars, they had the holes in there, and that's basically what they were. They were timed out so that every single hit, every event center hit, was the same length, and I think they're like three minutes maybe. And we would plug in that hole for whatever the market was. So every single market I did had to be three minutes in length, and it would be timed out, and I'd get counts to hit. And then I would do a generic one, which are the ones that you see in these uh, superstars that they have on the network. Because they don't, I, I'm sure they must exist somewhere. Some of these local markets we did, which, you know, had the interviews, but the guys would, if they were big markets, we'd have them, cu- them customize it as well. Uh, but for the most part, it, we gave them the break that they, you know, because I, I customized the markets. I, I added in, you know, 7.30 this Friday at the Rosemont Horizon and these, and, and the superstars could stick to, their promos and whatever that angle was. So uh, what you see in these is, uh, you know, they're generic ones. But, uh, you know, as I said, though, every one, we had like three spots that I would come in and every one of them would be timed out where I do, a you know, an intro, throw it to uh, an interview, say Brett the Hitman Hart, and then come out and do a bridge. And let's say if he was working with Shawn Michaels or something, then I would react to Brett's, uh, interview and then um, throw it to Sean and uh, say on a Monday because we run these interviews over and over again because they would be in the different markets nobody would see them you know so um, they would uh, I would go in and I'd watch their promos so that remember what if you ever saw when I came out of one of those interviews I could react with some stupid line that I'd come up with but it gave the illusion that I had I was right there watching that interview and reacting to it. And so I would have little notes of what Brett said, and I would have one thing that stood out to me. And look at Sean's, and I could lead into it saying, you know, 
and he says there's no chance he's going to get uh, locked up in, uh, you know, that figure four or, or you know, um, the sharpshooter and lead into his, you know. So uh, it was, if you look at it, it really was, uh, you know, great marketing on the part of the WWF to be able to put out that many promos uh, with the event center and, and localize them. And I think it was very effective because people felt that, they, you know, we were really uh, focused on their their home, at their their city. And, uh, and what we were really doing is we were doing it for, say, you know, <laughs> How many other what forty markets a week? I mean, it would, and then you know, I, I'd say I would do ninety. Remember, I told I've told you before, I did do like ninety. But then those things would be updated. So if I if I was two weeks out from Chicago, I'd say in two weeks, and the next week I'd say we're one week away from a big event taking place at the Rosemont Horizon, and uh, and so that would add to the number of markets I would have to do. I, I think you get what I'm talking about. But you know, we would do ninety something. Wow. It, it just boggles my mind how uh, we would do that, uh, that they had that many shows going. It just, it's just mind-blowing. Plus all of the Sky Television stuff. So uh, there's a little more insight into the event center that uh, was, you know, it was a great period of time. After I left, they really stopped doing it. I don't know if because they couldn't find another human being who could sit there and, and do that <laughs> day after day without going batshit crazy and running out the door. But... Um, it was, I really, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying because of me, but I really think that as far as what the WWF did, it was a brilliant, it was brilliant marketing and, and it was very efficient. And they had a great crew there that that's, you know, all they would do is edit that stuff. And they had, we had a producer and a couple of production assistants to just keep all that stuff straight. And and also remember, at, at, this is at a time where it wasn't like they were beaming this stuff up where you could send it as a file or something. They had to send these shows out one tape at a time and they would uh, you know FedEx them to these markets and they would literally take that tape and plug it in on a Saturday morning to play it would be queued up to go <laughs> and they would that's how they did it back then back in the day all right that's the um, that's your event center uh behind the scenes for this episode of network classics but we've got a a, a great episode coming up here and this is from uh, April 29th, 1992. April 29th, 1992. Now think back if uh, you were a big WWF fan and think about what was happening with the company at this time. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of turmoil going on. And uh, this is with the, you know, the whole uh, steroid scandal is brewing. Uh, Vince is concerned about uh, what uh, might happen uh, with the government coming after him. He's trying desperately to push uh, the World Bodybuilding Federation. He's knee-deep in this stuff. He's signed all of these bodybuilders, and he's got a big event that they're planning to happen in Los Angeles, which was a a, a disaster. Uh, I was there for that pay-per-view event, and my God, I think it's still a record today for like one of the lowest pay-per-view buys ever. And uh, the reason I mentioned the steroid uh, uh, scandal because Vince addresses it in here. There's an article, and I believe in one in the magazine, or where they uh, speak truth about steroids. And I'll tell you that Vince was definitely uh, serious about this. He was serious about um, you know the boys being clean, uh, both in the uh, wrestling uh, wrestling roster and these bodybuilders. Um, 
most of the, the, the superstars, you know, there were people that uh, got a little softer looking. But when you're talking about these bodybuilding guys who, you know, they depend on their lives here to be cut and ripped and shredded. Uh, boy, they, uh, it was just, it was just terrible. Uh, that by the time they did that pay-per-view, most of these guys looked like bowls of jelly. There was a few that, uh, you know, maybe they figured out how to get around it. Maybe they had other natural ways to stay cut, but for the most part, it was not, it was not good. It was just really, really bad. Uh, we are, and I keep promising it, we will do an episode, uh, an original episode with, with primetime where we're going to, I want to, you know, Gary Striden, we've Striden, who was the, uh, the champion. He he ended up becoming. He was the WBF champion, but he was a, a, a certainly an accomplished bodybuilder uh, prior to all that. And we've we've uh, we've made contact with him, and uh, he said that he would be interested. So we just got to nail him down and get him on because I, I'm just fascinated with uh, you know what happened there. And there's a lot I have I have no idea about, and I've been dying for years to to ask and get the real story. And so. And, I, and I'm sure that uh, they would probably like to have their side told because they got a really bad rap, those guys. And uh, even though they did, you know, they were signed to these guaranteed contracts, which you, you could imagine just caused all kinds of ripples and uh, chaos uh, amongst the boys seeing, you know, they're busting their ass, you know, in cars and traveling to cities and paying their way and the whole thing. And then they see these guys showing up at arenas doing a little pose down between matches Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, so we, we've definitely got to do, um, you know, a, an episode on that. But they 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 talk about this uh, in the in this show. It's the reason I bring it up. This uh, superstars episode from April 29th, 1992. Uh, we, this is when remember, this is a period of time when Vince McMahon uh, teamed up with Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect, uh, not appearing in the ring as much. And he had a whole lot going on. He, uh, you know, with the insurance policies trying to collect on, uh, uh, you know, um, and, you know, just not being you know, healthy in the ring to be able to, to work. And uh, this is, you know, he was such a great performer. They wanted to keep him involved. So he's doing play-by-play, which I think he was, he was uh, good at, you know, doing the commentary. And, uh, you know, also acting in some managerial roles or advisor roles, whatever you want to call it. But you guys know my feelings about Mr. Perfect. He's just, uh, just awesome. Um, was all, you know, an awesome performer, uh, just got along with him tremendously well. And just, uh, really think he's, as far as what he did in the ring is one of the best ever. And there are a lot of people that agree with me on that. Uh, but, uh, certainly top five, I mean, it's tough to me to you know split all the hairs there, but because there are some really, really great ones. But Mr. Perfect is right up there. Uh, we're going to be uh, citing some notes during this when we're watching from uh, blogofdoom.com, blogofdoom.com. We want to thank them and uh, for uh, the great work that they do, uh, you know, documenting these episodes. And it uh, brings back a lot of memories to me because, uh, you know, that's a long time ago. So being able to go back and uh, look at these and hopefully you're, we're, we're all accurate here. But uh, you get the idea when uh, we're talking about what's happening. So you know how this works, right? We are going to um, queue it up. And uh, on the WWE Network, if you haven't done so already, you go to the WWE Network, you go to In Ring. 
you go down to classics, that uh, classics version uh, of what you know uh, of all these shows, and just scroll down. I think Superstars is like right there, and uh, they only have 1992 up, so you just have to find uh, that uh, that May or April 29th, 1992 uh, episode. It was taped on April 29th. What is that correct? And it didn't air until May 23rd, 1992? Hmm. Let's uh, check that out, okay? All right, so you know how this all works. Uh, you want to go to the WWE Network, uh, go to in-ring. In you go to in-ring, click on that, and then just go down to uh, Classics. And uh, or a classic series, I think it says. And right there, you'll you'll find Superstars. So click on that and then find May 23rd, 1992, okay? And uh, we'll go from there. Uh, it says it's taped, according to these notes, blogofdoom.com, uh, that the episode was taped on April 29th, 1992. So <clears throat> I guess that would be pretty much right. I mean, we used to, you know, they would do... Uh, three weeks worth of taping, so this would probably be the last uh, week they had taped. So uh, I'm going to go with that. And uh, like I said, it's uh, WWF Superstars from May 23rd, 1992. So uh, go and find it if you haven't already. We'll take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll watch this episode of WWF Superstars. Okay, so we are back, and that means I'm sure that you're all queued up and uh, ready to roll on this one. <clears throat> it is uh, going to uh, feature, we've got, uh, let's see, we've got um, Undertaker is in this one. Uh, and remember, remember, Superstars was uh, just a, uh, a collection of squash matches to put the talent over, and then also let's plug whatever we need to plug uh, for upcoming house shows and whatever else we got going on, which, as I mentioned, they do, they're pushing the WBF hard here, and Vince will address it. But uh, this is just another thing that he's, you know, he's really trying to get this to go because, uh, bottom line, it's all about supplements. That's where you make your money. Uh, but you'll hear references the, uh, throughout. Okay. So, as I mentioned, we've got Undertaker. Uh, he takes on Bill Pierce. Of course, uh, you. I'm sure you remember that name, right? Uh, well, maybe you remember Dwayne Gill. I do. Dwayne Gill was uh, enhancement talent, and he goes up against Virgil. Remember what was happening here? They had given uh, Virgil a shot, given given him a push, uh, because uh, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase had teamed up with Money Inc. Uh, now a tag team with Erwin R. Scheister and Jimmy Hart as their manager. And they face Jim Powers, which is, he's been relegated for this match, along with uh, Mark Kay. And uh, I, I I guess this was a title match. Uh, is that what they're doing here? So <laughs> we'll see that. The British Bulldog takes on Barry Hardy, another name that you probably often heard back then, who was another one of the uh, enhancement talents. The Mountie's still out there with his shock stick. They're keeping Jimmy Hart busy as he again shows up at ringside for the Mountie as he faces Bobby Knight. And then we see the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch, as uh, they face the Dublin Destroyer and, uh, and Vince Sola. And then Kamala uh, makes an appearance with uh, Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi. 
uh, as he takes on Kerry Davis. Now, um, this is from the Onondaga War Memorial in Syracuse, New York. So, I'm, uh, you know, I'm probably the Dublin Destroyer was uh, probably worked that territory, uh, especially around Boston. Uh, can't get there from here, but you could get to uh, the Onondaga War Memorial from there in Syracuse. Okay, so um, we're going to go. Are you guys ready to do this? All right, here we go. Three, two, one, play. And off we go with that uh, fantastic open. There's the Hulkster. Then we have the Boss Man Mountie there. God, they just jam in a lot of guys in this Piper. Warrior's going to be in this. You'll see him coming up. Remember the angle they have going out this time, and we'll get into it. But uh, we had done another episode where Papa Shango is out there, uh, you know, spreading his voodoo. And his uh, one he's going after right now happens to be the warrior. So Vince in the uh, goes down into the gravel, the gravelly voice. Superstars. And there is the green screen behind them. Oh, I mean, no, no. Of course, they're at the, they're at the, you know, right there at the uh, Stanford Studios. Now, Vince, uh, you know, they start out here and and perfect. This is like, they, th- these guys were so, <laughs> time goes bile. Now, I mentioned the Papa Shango deal, and that's where, you know, the warrior, he had made the warrior sick, and he's like spewing yellow bile all over this hapless doctor who's in the back. Uh, Vince loved that stuff, and and uh, that kid was actually like a production assistant at the facility in Stanford that uh, had been at one of the TV tapings. And they're like, "You're a, you're going to be a doctor today," <laughs> as Kamala, as uh, as I mentioned, is going to be there. Luke and Butch, and here we go, and we get this thing started out. And even then, now look when that music. All you got to do is play that bell, and even at this point in time. You know, the Undertaker is not anywhere near what he is going to become, but uh, still sending chills down the spines of people in arenas across the country. And uh, as he comes out, led by Paul Bear and the Urn. And uh, Perfect making reference, and uh, that's another thing we've had on here. Remember when the Berserker had uh, attempted to impale the Undertaker in the ring and had actually, you know, that big steel sword and Undertaker rolls out of the way and he actually stabs it into the canvas. So, uh, you know, this match up here with the Undertaker and they're pushing this angle. It's, it's kind of lame, you know, they didn't really know what to do do with them I think at this point or they're maybe in between doing stuff with them but they keep this thing going with uh, with the berserker and and the undertaker had just come off uh, you know a pretty good feud with Jake the Snake Roberts and Bill Pierce trying to uh, you know throw a series of forearms there to the back of the undertaker and that's what you call the ultimate no sell and (laughs) 
And, you know, this the whole thing was that, you know, he's, he's going to be able to pin this guy with little or no effort. But this this was, you know, the beginning where they, you know, they really just kept selling The Undertaker as this, you know, beyond human. But this is like they had the berserker going on with The Undertaker and it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of meat to this. That he, you know, tried to stab him with that sword. That was about it. But, you know, Mark's really coming into his character here with The Undertaker. You know, really, the 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 whites of his eyes as he rolls them up into his head and everything's slow and methodical. Big boot. Right to the chops of Bill Pierce. Clearly, the Undertaker can end this at any moment that he wants to. As, uh, looks over at Paul Bear, the pasty one. And he really did have that, uh, you know, that fleshy. And he shook his hand, that kind of soft, fleshy skin. As he was a, a real Undertaker. And a big, off that top rope, walks the, tight, the, the top rope there and then just slams down Pierce. This is going to be over very soon. I think this uh, matchup was like two minutes and 23 seconds and uh, we're getting about there now. So here comes the tombstone. And setting him up and down he goes. And it just wraps him up. And Timmy White, the referee here. Timmy's been a, a guest on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Love Timmy. Just a really, really, really great guy. A kid fascinated with The Undertaker. I think she was doing kind of the rolling up the ice thing when he was coming out. Did you catch that? And now we're going to go uh, visit our friend uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. This is the uh, WWF update, not to be confused with the event center. Yep, the WWF magazine. And that was a, you know, that was a very popular magazine, guys. That uh, a lot of folks on the uh, the list for that. Gene was just so damn good, wasn't he? Talking about that Papa Shango curse. So I wonder if we're going to see highlights. And then, yeah, we we did this, uh, we did this episode. (laughs) He looked as good as I've ever recalled seeing him. (laughs) Oh, Gene, man, you knew how to put him over. So remember that remember Papa Shango comes out to ringside. He's got the smoke going and the skull and uh, he's gunning for the warrior. And what he'd done is he had gotten a hold of one of the warriors uh, wristbands, one of his forearm bands and had gone backstage to work his uh, voodoo. And so now he goes into his trance. See, it's gone. The, The right wristband is gone. And now, Shango comes out, 
going away and no effect yet, but he's getting, he's getting into it. He's deep in the trance. And let's see what happens. Okay. And going away. Uh, All right, Jim, it's time to sell. Time to sell it. And he goes, all right. This is taking a while. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There it is. Down he goes. And as Perfect continues to sell it, there he goes. Somebody's got to explain this thing. How did it happen? How's the warrior down? As he writhes in agony. Bring out the suits. Bring out the suits. <laughs> Appendicitis. Well, that, that would have been uh, a good explanation. You, know, you got Chief J. Strongbow right there. That's his backside. And I think I saw Rene Goulet is out there. See, this was always... Oh, there's J.J. Dillon. Shango keeps it going. And uh, they've got to, you know, they want to get him backstage. I mean, they've got to help. This man needs help. Tony Gurria. See there in the red jacket? There's Chief right there. they got to help him. They're telling me, you know, but Shango keeping it up. Oh, yeah, you hear that? Get the hell out of here. Yeah, there's Rene. Rene Goulet's there. Now, you know, when I first arrived there, I, I did not realize the history that they had backstage. I knew a lot of those guys had been in the ring before, but it were it really was the who's who. They had some of the, you know, Blackjack uh, Lanza was there, uh, one of the agents. A lot of uh, a lot of these guys that had been uh, stars of the of past, who had uh, you know had been loyal to Vince or who had uh, left other organizations maybe early on and had worked for him. And Vince didn't forget that and gave them all jobs when uh, their careers uh, finished up, when they couldn't really do it anymore in the ring. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So see the guy. There, you can see the guy that gets thrown up on right here, the doctor. God, I wish I could remember his name was Mark. God, I got to remember his last name. And then, okay, there we go. Now we start. <laughs> and Fitz. Fitz. <laughs> Vince loved this stuff. He really did. And oh, gee, yeah. Oh my, oh my. Well, I must say, the curse, the pox. Gene was just so good. I'm sorry, I keep saying that, but I just watch him and. Boy, he boy, he knew how to get it done. Oh, we got Papa Shango. Ooh, this was, you know what? I mean, as as hokey as it was, I mean, I guess, but I liked it. I and, and I and and kids were legit scared out of their pants, man. When he would come to these arenas, they were scared to death of him. As we uh, wrap up that update. Moving right along. There's Howard. There's Vince Gill. I mean, not Vince Gill. <laughs> I give him way too much credit. Dwayne Gill. <laughs> uh, but no, he was he was around. He got he got uh, quite a bit of work with the WWF. 
as uh, Virgil comes out in his barbershop pants. And Virgil now, as I mentioned, getting a bit of a solo push here. And, you know, he wasn't great. He wasn't tremendous in the ring, but, you know, he could hold his own. I, I tell you, I was I was surprised that uh, when they did give him the opportunity to work, you know, he, he, could, he could work in there. And Gil immediately goes to questionable tactics there. And uh, Mr. Perfect, oh boy, that almost was dangerous. I don't quite know what he was planning on doing there. Clothesline or what? Ooh. Atomic drop. There, we finally get the clothesline in. And uh, this really, this... uh, This match is really just to really put over Lex Luger. As uh, Vince starts selling, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about WBF here. And, you know, Luger, uh, this is when, you know, Vince had always wanted him uh, with the WWF, and he had some issues. I don't know what the hell was that. What was that? Uh, This must have been early on because this this match is a mess. But they, Vince wanted him to come on board. He had been in that motorcycle accident, had been laid up, and still had some contractual issues. God, this is an awful match. So, big elbow. I think Virgil realizes what a shit show this is, and uh, he's got to wrap it up. But that really, this match was really just to get Virgil out there, let people see him, but you could hear Vince talking about the WBF and Lex Luger. So what they wanted to do is they were going to have that uh, Luger was going to go around and, and uh, do guest poses just to get him out there and uh, keep him with the company until he could actually work. As uh, Virgil steals a million-dollar dream there and uses it, uh, stealing that from his boss, his old boss there, Ted DiBiase. And, uh, you know, he keeps it going and, and uh, another, you know, it's Plug City. Plug City here. And coming right after that, uh, Ted DiBiase, who had moved on. Now part of Money, Inc. with IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. Mike Rotundo. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys felt about Money, Inc., but... Uh, I've had conversations with people about tag teams, and tag teams were certainly hot in the WWF then. I mean, no question about it. But a lot of times, you know, you would get, look at uh, Jim Powers, wow. Um, that they were basically two singles wrestlers that they put in tag team. You know, the the really great tag teams, knew, you know, really knew how to work with each other. And I think that you had these guys uh, who really didn't have that much time to really, you know, get cohesive with, but it, you know, it was a gimmick. It worked, and you had Jimmy Hart putting him over, and anybody Jimmy was with, he knew how to generate some heat. And we've got, uh, I mean, the tag team championship, really, with Jim Powers, who was a legit superstar. I mean, he'd gotten, you know, some notoriety. 
And uh, that's why they're allowing him to get some offense here. And there you go. Atomic drop, clothesline. And he was uh, he was quite a specimen. So as you can imagine, now that uh, Mark K comes in, uh, this is <laughs> perfect. Is the son of Mary K? Uh, no sell there. Um, yeah. So this one's probably going to be over very soon here. These matches didn't last very long, if you recall. You know, if if you got over the two minute mark, that was a long match in these. Uh, that was a kind of a weak clothesline. Tag made. In comes Rotundo uh, or IRS. Big right to the jaw of Mark K. And Ted DiBiase continues the onslaught. Here's a power slam. As this beatdown continues. Oh, man. That was a vicious necktie as a clothesline wraps this up. And it was really, once again, march them out, show them off a little bit, put them over. You know, and they really, at this point, they didn't have anything really going on. It was uh, just a, another filler. Yeah, IRS said uh, in on the replay there to retain the WWF Tag Team Championship. And there's a new set, boy. And we had, look at, I'm very busy there. I'm very busy keeping up. Uh, yes, indeed. What the hell did that mean? What am I trying to fill 10 seconds there? What the hell? Let's say we got, oh God, the genie suspenders. I mean, what the hell? So, you can imagine, like, sometimes these generic interviews are really tough for the guys because they had really nothing to talk about. You know, they're just like, just go, just sell something. To, but, you know, but they couldn't really talk about another tag team. They couldn't talk about, you know, an angle they had going on. They just had to fill whatever, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Like if Frankie took a bite, <laughs> you could see on like you. And the, oh, God. Yeah, see, that was a great way to fill the last eight seconds. High energy. Yeah, let's see. Oh, this is where you, How long did that uh, feud between uh, the model and Tatanka last like two years? It's, it seemed like it, didn't it? It just kept going on and on and on. So, you know, it, it made a difference when you had someone else to talk about. When you had somebody that you were, you know, actually, actually, you know, facing out there in these house shows, the hundreds of house shows they did. But uh, Rick Martel was uh, one of the best. 
Absolutely. But he had that feather for a long time. What he's got now? He's got more than one. I thought it was just one. Yeah, that's like a bug sprayer. So remember what I told you before that I would look at some of these. Uh, I take a look at these these uh, uh, promos they cut so that I could react to them because it's not like I saw them. We didn't roll them. You know, they put they plugged those in. So. That was uh, that was the generic right there. So as we move on, uh, we're going to see the British Bulldog. You got the the music playing as he's in singles action here. Just a monster, man. He's just uh, in unbelievable shape. Oh, and uh, remember this this angle that was going on with Ric Flair claiming that Miss Elizabeth wouldn't leave him alone. And of course, this is when Perfect is acting as Flair's advisor, which it was tremendously amusing. Remember the doctored pictures of them together, and then they they expose that. Uh, I don't know, man. You better be careful there, Barry Hardy. Won't be showing up the British Bulldog. Uh, that you know the pictures, and they found out that they'd been doctored. Uh, didn't have, you know, Photoshop back then that they showed the that they had, you know, inserted where Macho Man was. They put Ric Flair there. Well, this is what this is great. They're going to come up is that they have they, they claim to have uh, answering machine uh, messages that Ric Flair had received from Miss Elizabeth talking about how much she missed him and the whole thing was going on. And I thought that was I thought that was very clever. Uh Repo Man, as we've mentioned before, they don't really know what the hell to do with Repo Man. And they, they, they know he's uh, he's a great worker. And they're putting him out there in these house shows. And he's facing, you know, he's mid-carter here. And they're going to have him uh, working with, with Bulldog uh, at occasional house shows. And But how do you, what do you, what's the deal? I mean, that he repess, repossesses your car or something, you know, remember he repossessed Macho Man's hat. They, they had that running for a while. Like what, what's that about? Repossessed his hat. So I've talked about it before, but it just never, I felt bad for Barry because he was a great, great worker, great hand, as they say. And the British Bulldog just destroys Barry Hardy. And Mr. Perfect, not a not a not a fan of the dreads uh, or the beads and the braids. And uh, yeah, so you've got here. Oh my goodness, I'm trying to. Not sure where they'd got this model, because he's living the life everywhere, uh, styling and profiling. There we go. Uh, Mr. Perfect with the... Was that a grape he tossed? Remember he would do that with the gum? And I mentioned he used to do stuff like that when we do interviews and he would take out the gum and put it on my shoulder. You know, I couldn't see it was there and somebody would finally come up and go, uh, you going to chew that? <laughs> like, Kurt. Like he'd come up, like put his arm around you and then he would leave the gum on your shoulder. Yeah, so Ric Flair saying, you know, I just can't take it anymore. This woman won't leave me alone. 
Really? She's leaving. Oh, he's going to play it. Oh. Can't come to the phone right now. Look <laughs> for the woo and the beep. <laughs> That's Miss Elizabeth leaving message. Oh, oh boy. And he's claiming this is uh, Miss Elizabeth. Mr. Perfect, he bought the cow. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's heat. That's heat. I I was wondering, you know, uh, even though they're working here, but I I, I just can't imagine, like, Randy was enjoyed these, these, uh, these angles. Yeah, good job. Good line there, Mooney. Not getting the message. I think that is a, an official WWF tie. It was like little WWF. So I saw that somebody was showing me on eBay, one sold for thousands of dollars. And I'm like, what the hell did I do with those things? <laughs> oh, there's Crush. God, never, ever seemed to... You know, I think that maybe if he would have been given the good gimmick, it might have worked, but... But those like those vin- those vignettes they did were just not not good. Yeah. Okay. Oh, also, by the way, Crush is going to take care of business. Oh boy. Hmm. Okay. Not sure what any of that. See, we got, uh, you know, this is more generics. Uh, Bowen Blake, yes. And the cape thing, I, I don't know if that was a they ever had in mind that they were, you know, going to have, they're going to have the genius with them. I, I don't know, but. And were those just backstage and they said, we don't have anybody to wear these capes. Let's give them to Bo and Blake, the Beverly brothers. Right. I, I, I don't know. Just never, that one never worked for me either. So. Segment of the day, segment of this show is the uh, Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. That 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 was great. I love that. The, 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 the message from Elizabeth on the answering machine. <laughs> oh, God. And there's another one of your generic event centers. And we're going to come back out here with a, a matchup with uh, Bobby Knight and, of course, the Mountie. And, you know, the Mounties certainly got some play, and then they had him with Jimmy Hart. Uh, 
And you know that this thing was kind of like one of those, uh, you know, where it was like comical. It was like a circus song, kind of the Mountie. And uh, he, he did a lot to sell it. There's no question about it. And, you know, remember when they came, became the Quebecers? And PCO, PCO part of that. So, uh, the, you know, and it's interesting. You, if you ever want to really uh, find out about that, you know, how that all transitioned after, uh, you know, the uh, Rougeau brothers split when Raymond decided he didn't want to be in the ring anymore. And Mountie, you know, wanted to continue to work. And then they, you know, kept going with the, the Canadian theme. But uh, listen to that episode with with PCO, the first one we did, where he talks about how, uh, you know, he was very young then and really appreciated the opportunity. But he has a few regrets about what all happened during that period of time with the WWF. And uh, Jack was a great worker. He really was. But uh, interesting, the relationship that they had and uh, what it may have cost PCO. Now he's, you know, doing what he's doing, still working, um, more intense than ever. And uh, he's got that super shock stick at ringside. And you know that's going to be coming out. And you got uh, Sarge. Cutting uh, another promo as they uh, they worked this deal between them for a while. And a nice drop kick as he just sits on Bobby Knight, and we get to bring out the shock stick. Of course, we got to see that thing in action as we put in the dubbed in. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, guy's not done yet. Like they had to lock it up, <laughs> and oh, that that lock would have stopped anybody. Really, is there anybody who couldn't have opened that thing up? These little tiny locks. He's the Mountie. That was a good episode too with with uh, Jacques. Tells the story. All right, he's going to fire that sucker up. Is he going to blast this poor bastard? Yeah, of course he is. Bobby Knight, you're in trouble. Try and get out of there, Pally. Nope. As uh, Timmy White is chasing the ring, knocks the guy down. And it's dub it in. Here it comes. As the Mountie says, beg, I want you to beg. He's going to light him up anyway. It's Timmy, oh. And uh, Timmy did his job there. Kind of like a, like a rodeo clown does. You distract the bull so that uh, it won't hurt the, the guy who was riding it. And the Mountie feels cheated. Uh, well... I don't get to shock anybody today. And he wants to sing. That's the only thing that makes him happy. 
I'm the Mountie. I'm the Mountie. <laughs> what if Jimmy had uh, something to do with that one, that song? I know he did with the Rougeau Brothers song. And of course, we're gonna uh, we gotta we gotta plug the Coliseum video that uh, probably hosted. What did we did with that one? Okay, so we're going to be getting to uh, an interview now that's going to follow up to what we saw earlier as in the update. As Gene Okerlund introduces the Warrior, this is going to be a live uh, arena interview. As the Warrior comes out with his jacket, hmm, why is he wearing a jacket? That seems odd. Why isn't he showing off his muscles? Oh, as uh, Perfect makes reference to his face paint saying it's the stuff that he threw up last week. His mistake. Oh, and he puts his hands in his pockets. As Gene uh, talks about the, the, the curse, the spell, the voodoo, the black magic of Papa Shango. The warrior, yeah. He's he's fine. He's he can uh, overcome anything, right? Oh, his his physical condition recently. <laughs> oh, see now that may has made him stronger from that uh food poisoning episode that he had. Spellbound. What are you doing in your pocket there, mister? This voodoo. He said it's not an issue. It's he's got no problem whatsoever with it. He can there's nobody that can control him. Yeah, he's got his uh, warriors. Behind him. So nothing, he's a shield. There's shield. All right. If you say so, warrior. It's, It's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. He's going to. Yeah, well, they can. Oh, wait a minute. That's uh, ink he's pumping from his pocket. No, no, no. It's it. Can't, what is? What is? It's, it's, it's Shango. It's got to be. It's the curse. Oh my God. Where's he going? What's what what? <laughs> Gene's like, sell it, Gene, sell it. (laughs) Of course he has, Vince. He's been cursed. He doesn't get it. 
All right. That was... Uh, Vince, we're all wondering what we just experienced. It was uh, bad TV. What? 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 Yeah, and Perfect's going to help sell it. Look at the Dublin Destroyer in there with uh, Vince Sola. As uh, we bring out our favorites, the Bushwhackers, who take a licking and lick everybody. And I uh, had been victim of that on more than one occasion. The Bushwhackers rub his head. You know, when you look back at this, and if anybody followed these guys as the sheep herders before they arrived in the WWF, these two guys, they were freaking badass. They were just nasty, evil, you know, bloody hell. They were just, they would deliver uh, all kinds of bad poundings, uh, you know, just wreak havoc wherever they went. They were just nasty ass heels. And uh, they come to the WWF and Vince turns them into these two comical characters. And, uh, you know, I have since uh, done an interview with um, with Luke. And he's, I, I asked him about that. I said, was it tough for you guys to come in there and, you know, and become kind of these comical baby faces? And what are you talking about, mate? We laughed all the way to the bank. And they made a... Yeah, they made a lot of money and uh, and got to work for many, many years because of it. Now, who knows if they would have remained uh, like the sheep herders and be, you know, just been nasty heels. Uh, they probably wouldn't have gotten the run that they had and, and would not uh, have been able to be out there for so many years as a big fan favorite wherever they went and, and being able to go to all these shows. I know Butch has uh, been in ill health. So he's not had uh, as much opportunity. But Luke, I know, is still very active. Had a gym down in Florida. There's the battering ram. Down goes Mr. Sola, Vince Sola. Did we even see the... I don't. Did the Destroyer even get in the ring? I don't think he did. That was a minute 17 match, folks. But the kids loved him. And this was when the WWF was still very heavy into family entertainment. It's all about the families, the kids, mom, dad, and the kids. It would be a few years before they would uh, dive into the gutter and, uh, you know, have more adult entertainment. Is that what you want to call it? <laughs> all right. And Kamala is on the way uh, here on Superstars. But it's time to plug something else, right? As we mentioned, I told you that uh, the WBF was uh, uh, a big part of of, uh, Vince and what they were trying to do at the time. As uh, Whippleman is in uh, the ring. And, you know, remember when they they had that that ridiculous match they had, uh, Whippleman and, and, uh, and Howard Finkel? That was great. All right, so now they've got uh, Kamala coming out with that big mask and kimchi, Steve Lombardi. As uh, he comes out of the ring and then you got Kerry Davis. Now there's a physical specimen for you. So uh, 
This is uh, basically just a buffet for Kamala. He's going to be able to uh, eat whatever he wants here and leave the leftovers in the ring because Kerry Davis is about to get destroyed. Many years, says his Bennis Handler, <laughs> Kim Chi. You know how that turned out. Not good. Not good. And, uh, yeah, Kerry Davis is, you know, not much for him to do in this. Again, he tries off the ropes. Down once again as Kim Chi just goes right after him. He might be taking a bite out of him there. As uh, Perfect chimes in. Into the ropes. Reverse kick. And follows it all up with a chop. Big knee across the throat there. Yeah, Whippleman. Putting over his man. All right. You done? Okay, and then they got to they got to tell him like, "No, no, roll him over." No, you got to roll him over. They did this bit every <laughs> Roll him over. There you go. Okay. Nice job, Kamala. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let him go. Okay. <laughs> Vince, once he's got him down, he doesn't want to give him up. <laughs> like his prey. Yeah, Kamala destroying Kerry Davis. Kick to the chest and big splash. And I, they always, I always love that though. Roll him over. Roll him. Roll him over. Yeah, then you can do the pin. WBF Magazine. There's Gary Stratum right there. I told you about him. And uh, we're going to get him on primetime. I'm glad I was reminded of that because look at this. The truth about steroids. And of course, to find that out, you want to go to the WBF Magazine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I had to help sell it, too. Okay, give me a break. I just did what they told me. Now, why did we have to go with that? Sensational Sherry. HBK. Sensational Sherry, man. That woman could work. And she broke a lot of barriers, you know. There was, uh, before her, you know, how many people could you could you name, uh, how many women could you name that crossed that line and actually became a superstar? She was as big as everybody else, could work as hard as they, they could. And uh, if you didn't give it to her as hard as she dished it out, man, she was pissed. And she'd call you out on it. So you'd see, man, she'd take a clothesline. She'd get tossed out of the ring. She could do it all. All right, Mooney, come on. Let's wrap this up. I think you got one more interview in you. So, in the, the, the multicolored event center with our little monitor over the shoulder. 
I always like the green screen with the monitors. I don't know about you guys, but. And John Tenta, along with Fred Ottman. And they were good pals. And, and, and Fred talks about, you know, how much he really enjoyed working with John. And they became really, really, really good friends. And uh, when John got sick and uh, eventually passed, uh, Fred took it very hard. Uh, and, and he was hoping at the time that, you know, uh, John had battled cancer and that uh, he might make a comeback and that they could work together again. It just never happened. Yeah, I liked I liked the natural disasters. I really I liked uh, I liked their bit, and it was a good tag team. It really was, man. And they because the, the two of them they were pretty damn nimble in the ring for the size of those two guys. I mean, really. Oh come on, Mooney. Really? What are you going to come back with? What? What? Had enough of you for this show anyway? For sure. Exactly. Okay. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Look at this. Oh, God, I, this is awesome. They kept this this in there. Here's a snap. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Vince running down the card for next week. We're going to see the natural disasters, earthquake, and typhoon. A big boss man, always loved him. Oh, this is a good show. We got Legion of Doom, L-O-D. Joe and Mike, Papa Shango, continuing to wreak havoc. Oh, yes, we got to find out what that was. That's going to do it, folks. Copyright 1992. See, Titan Sports, Inc. All right, there you have it. Another episode, another network classic here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. I love looking back on these because uh, it, it uh, you know, to see all these old promos that the guys did and uh, just see, you know, how they how they came along. Uh, you know, when we first started doing that, guys had, uh, you know, trouble doing it. They were used to at that point, you know, until we started doing those uh, solo promo cuts that they would do. They had Gene there or Craig Minervini. Uh, Craig was, uh, you know, before my time and, and uh, Gene and, and uh and Craig would be out there doing these interviews with the guys, and they always had a stick man with them. That's the way you did it. And so this started that whole new era of these guys cutting these promos by themselves in front of a green screen. But, uh, you know, it worked. It worked. It, it helped them to sell a lot of tickets across the country. And uh, that's that was, you know, that was a brilliant marketing plan on their part to be able to, you know, localize every one of these markets when, as I said, they're doing 90-something a week that we would do. That's that's unbelievable. These guys were working, and they had A teams, B teams, even C teams out there, uh, all of them working six, seven days a week. Weekends, they do uh, double shots. You know, they would be on the road for, you know, months before they got a chance to go ho- get home at times. And, uh, you know, they knew they had to, to strike while they could, and they made their money from those house shows. That's how they made their money. Uh, by the gates, it wasn't they. They they weren't paid, uh, you know, for the TV tapings. They uh, uh, eventually, I you know, I don't know what their cut was from the pay per views, but they their lion's share of what they would get uh, to make a living was the house shows. And remember, uh, 
pretty much all the all the uh, the office paid for was their flights. They had to pay for their their uh, uh, hotel rooms. They had to pay for their their rental cars to get from one place to the other when they weren't flying to another city, and uh, so that and their own food. I mean, they were independent contractors in a sense there, basically, and so it was all up to them. So that you know. That's why a lot of them would, uh, you know, double up in hotel rooms. They would, you know, get a hotel or get a rental car and have four guys in it to uh, save money on costs. And uh, you know, it was it was rough, man. That that you think about that. That was a really really tough, a tough way to to live. And uh, you know, they they made good money. Uh, this is a period of time when you had, you know, any mid level superstar was probably making a couple hundred thousand a year which is uh, damn good money back then but boy did you earn it my god did you earn it they certainly did uh like i said i hope you enjoyed this we, we've got a lot of content coming your way uh with primetime uh you know uh mondays we've got these watch alongs uh that uh, we have uh, every week uh we've got wednesday's original episodes that uh, we drop and then on Saturdays, we have our vault episodes, you know, something from the library that perhaps you didn't get a chance to listen to before. We re-release it uh, to, uh, you know, put it out there. But uh, a lot happening. And, and they drop uh, at 6 a.m. Eastern time, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and on Saturday. Unless, uh, you know, of course, uh, with my new affiliation with the National Wrestling Alliance, uh, that has certainly opened a whole new world up for me. And I'm just having a blast. And uh, we've been bringing a lot of the talent on so that you can get to know them. And also, you know, a lot of them, uh, a lot of people on that roster, uh, you know, came through the ranks early, you know, the early days, you know, at least within the 2000s and uh, have paid their dues and have spent time in the WWE and some of the other organizations out there, TNA. And it's fascinating to listen to their stories and, uh, and just how excited they are of what's happening with the NWA, the new NWA. Uh, and what they're doing with these social platforms, you know, with NWA Power now on uh, YouTube. And uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, man, do it. It's uh, it's a whole uh, different, uh, uh, you know, way to to approach how the product is out there now. And uh, Billy Corgan and, and Dave Lagana are just, uh, you know, they're they're visionaries and and uh, and what uh, they're taking professional wrestling, you know, different places that uh, it hasn't been before. So that's been fun. But I mentioned that. When we do have a talent on like we do this week, we've got uh, Nick Aldis, who's uh, going to be uh, on our, our, our episode this week. And because it's an NWA talent, what we do is we drop it early on Tuesday night, right after NWA Powers, uh, uh, you know, uh, streams on uh, YouTube. So as soon as that concludes, it starts at 6.05 p.m. So at 7.05 p.m., uh, that episode will be available, uh, my recent uh, conversation with Nick Aldis. And he's been on uh, primetime before. But this, uh, we cover a whole range of topics this time. And uh, I think you're going to find it really interesting. I, I really have uh, gotten to know Nick a bit. And I tell you this, uh, he respects the business so much. And he is a great champion. And he is carving it, uh, you know, carving his path all on his own. He's uh, certainly been influenced by many, many other Big names in wrestling, you know. He cites many people that uh, influenced him along the way, but uh, he is uh, very unique, and uh, he's doing it his way. And it's just been fun to watch, as uh, well as seeing a lot of these other guys that have come back. People like Trevor Murdoch, who is tearing it up in the uh, 
NWA and Eli Drake and Aaron Stevens. So anyway, we will be having uh, more of them on, but we will, you know, have other episodes as well. I mean, with with uh, people that not not involved with the NWA. So primetime with Sean Mooney is still going strong. We'll continue to drop original episodes every Wednesday. So be sure to check them out. Follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's real easy at Primetime Mooney at Primetime Mooney, so you can get updates and find out when uh, other stuff we got going. We're putting out a lot of content on, uh, go to YouTube, go to the Primetime Mooney YouTube channel, because a lot of these interviews we're doing now, we do on Skype. Anyway, check out the YouTube channel, Primetime Mooney, and uh, just stay tuned. we got a lot more on the way. Hope you enjoyed this episode of our Network Classic. Until next time, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.